So the other day I decided that I was sick of going to take my car to get the oil changed. I thought, you know what, I ought to be able to do this myself. So I started looking things up on the internet. I went to YouTube and looked at a bunch of different tutorials on how to do it and how-to guides and things like that. And what was crazy was that I expected them to basically show me how to crawl under the car and and look for the drain plug or whatever it is. But one guy, the the top guy, it seemed like he was the uh, the one with the most views, had a ton of views. Um, he was basically started with all this technical information on the engine, started talking about clearance levels on the piston rings and talking about um, all kinds of viscosity information with the oil and uh, talked about compression ratios and how my specific engine was slightly different than all the other engines and how that factored into the whole thing. And after a while, I, I started thinking, this is just crazy. Like, how can I just learn how to fix my oil and, and change it myself? And so I started looking around and, and just got really frustrated and thought, there's got to be a better way. Hello, folks. Welcome back to the next episode of the Tunnel Coder Podcast. This is episode number three. I'm your host, Nate Rutan, and this episode is sponsored by Compose Cloud Solutions out of Lakewood, Colorado. Okay, so I have a small confession to make about the story that I opened with. I basically made the whole story up, and I'm sorry if that uh, bothers you, but I did it for a purpose. And the purpose is this. It's basically, I was trying to draw an analogy uh, with the way that we learn how to code. And it might be silly uh, to make that analogy, but to be honest, this is very similar to the way that we learn coding. I mentioned this in the last episode, and uh, what we what we end up happening, or what ends up happening is we've got these things that we want to do. We have this business logic. We have this sort of idea of something that we need to accomplish in the real world. Let's say we need to, you know, take some kind of data and move it from this place to the next place, or we need to do, like in my case, I do a lot of integration. So I need to take information from one site and move it to the next site and uh, do some modifications in between and, you know, uh, enrich the data or do different things and then push it to the next place. And you know, you might be the kind of person that you need to, maybe you've been tasked with the uh, job of creating some kind of a simple website for your company, or um, maybe you're learning to code because you want to create a weather station. You want to get yourself a Raspberry Pi, and uh, which is a, a little small um, hobby type computer that you can write your own code for and, and plug in a bunch of different electronic parts to. And I'm sure all of you guys have heard of this by now. It's been out for quite some time. But let's say you wanted to get a Raspberry Pi and, and create a weather station and you wanted to start uploading weather data to Weather Underground because that's just your thing. Or, I don't know, let's say you are a gardener and uh, you want to start some seeds in your house um, in the springtime, but you thought it would be cool to create a situation where you could turn the lights on and off on a certain schedule or something like that or control the heat. I don't know anything. There's lots of different ways that you could use code or different reasons to use code. And 
So the problem is, is like I mentioned on the last episode, and we're, we're going to mention this a lot of times because this is kind of core to uh, what I'm going to be talking about on this podcast, but um, a lot of what happens in the, in the world of learning to code is that, or actually, I shouldn't say a lot of what happens. It seems, honestly, in my opinion, um, I haven't really run across a tutorial yet that, in my opinion, starts it the right way. Um, I mean, they pretty much universally start with, and of course, I haven't done every single one out there, but to me, it almost universally starts with this huge dump of all these different pieces and parts and all this stuff. And like I've mentioned before, um, one of the biggest issues that I think people have with any endeavor of learning some domain of knowledge is that there's going to be all kinds of moving pieces and parts and all sorts of little bits and slivers of information, but you you can't and you shouldn't learn all that information in one big dump of information or just learn it sequentially or just commit it all to memory. I mean, we don't learn how to how to speak English by somebody shoving a dictionary into our hands and and we start at A and work all the way to Z and then expect ourselves to to know, you know, air quotes how to speak, right? And that that doesn't make any sense. That's just not how human beings learn. We learn contextually and we build up our information over a long period of time as we're growing and learning and we see the uh, the ways that other people use language. We see the ways that our mom or our dad or whoever is around us as we grow up, we see the way that they use these words. How do these words get put into a sentence? What is the context around these things? And that's that's really how the human mind works as we um, branch off contextually into all these different areas of knowledge and um, we we link them all back. We make all these uh, neurological links between all these different sort of centers of information, right? So um, that's why I started with the example of, of learning how to change the oil. Um, it would be just completely and utterly crazy if somebody uh, wanted to learn how to change the oil and they were expecting to have somebody teach them, okay, get some uh, little tire ramps, you know, those, those, you know, those little ramps, if you've ever done it yourself, and you drive your car up and then you can slide under the car, right? And I used to do this a long time ago when I was younger, trying to save money. And so you drive your car up and you basically look for the drain plug and then you unscrew the drain plug and you have a pan and you let the oil drain out, right? And then you put the plug back and then you go up top and you dump in a whole bunch more oil, check the dipstick and you're pretty much done, right? Or you also change the oil filter, right? So, I mean, there's, I don't know how many steps those are, maybe six steps, I don't know, something like that. I mean, I'm sure there's, I didn't go through and count them all, but there's just a handful of steps, right? So um, how crazy would it be if somebody was like, you know, what you really need to know is that uh, the compression ratio uh, of the pistons in your particular J15376 version 3 uh, engine, you know, made by Volvo or whatever, um, in that particular engine, see, the compression ratio is 22 to 1. And now, if it were 23 to 1, uh, that would be a different story. And you'd be like, why? And they're like, well, it doesn't really exactly matter, I guess. But you definitely need to know this stuff. Because 
if you're going to be changing oil, you need to know how the engine works. You need to know compression ratios. You need to know, really, you need to know what sort of tolerances there are uh, between the valves and the tops of the piston heads. Because if you don't know how many microns there are between the valves and the piston heads, something could go really wrong. And, you know, you're really just not cut out for changing oil. And you'd probably, I hope you all like my uh, oil engineer changer voice. <laughs> so anyway, um, you probably would look at that dude and be like, dude, you're crazy. I'm going to go find somebody that can tell me the six steps to changing the oil because that's just really what I need to do. Um, I don't really care or want to know about the tolerances of my valves and the way that they line up with my piston heads and all that stuff. I mean, that's cool. I mean, don't get me wrong. Somebody spent a lot of time engineering that stuff. And those people are super smart and they went to school and, you know, um, learned how to do a whole different type of engineering, right? But when it comes to being uh, the kind of person that wants to change oil, um, that just really doesn't matter. So what I wanted to talk to you guys about today is I was looking through all of the the projects I've done over the you know number of years uh, since I really started coding um, in a productive and, and professional manner, which was around, I don't know, I'd say around 2012, towards the end of 2012 is when I really started getting pr productive and, and solving real business problems. And over the years, I've done a ton of different projects and I've just, as a part of this podcast and what I wanted to, uh, you know, really be able to dig into, I started thinking about what are sort of the main kind of core steps to any productive, professional, business-solving code project. So I wanted to share those steps with you today, and it goes something like this. Step number one, get or create data as some data type. Step number two, store data in a data structure. Step number three, branch or loop through the data and do stuff, which is a highly technical term that you need to know. Step number four, store the data back into a data structure or send it somewhere else. Okay, so I'm gonna dig into these just a little bit. And if you're just learning how to code, you probably aren't super familiar with the idea of data types or data structures, but um, this is a, of course, this is a whole topic and we could get really into the weeds on this kind of thing. And, and of course, if you do learn, you know, if you do go through and do like a tutorial on learning some specific language, they're going to give you all the, the ins and outs and all the details of the data types and the data structures that that specific language supports. But on the whole, if you look across pretty much all the languages that share similar syntax and design cues, uh, and 
the languages that I'm going to be talking about would all be under the C family of languages with the C type of syntax. But if you look across those types of languages, you're going to find really very similar data types. You're going to find, you know, a bunch of different representations of of numbers. and, And then, you know, there's a bunch of different things underneath that heading. You're going to find, you know, strings and bytes. You're going to find uh, built-in data structures, which are going to be arrays and hash sets and dictionaries and, you know, um, queues and things like that. Um, And you're going to find, you know, custom data types, which are going to be the classes and the objects that you create yourself, which are going to be like what they would call composite data types because you're using primitive types of data to build up this sort of custom composite data type, things like that. Now, that's a huge topic, and we're not going to go into that here, uh, because part of the the whole kind of idea behind the tunnel coder sort of philosophy is that there are these underlying sort of fundamentals and principles behind a whole bunch of the different programming languages that you would want to learn, especially if you're looking at the languages under the C C style of syntax. Uh, There's a bunch of other languages that would fall under functional types and and different types of languages like that. And now they're going to have types of syntax that aren't going to be quite as familiar to the C style. Although even then you're still going to find similar API sort of surface area that would be at some level understandable to you. And when I say API surface area, I mean like across sort of the way that you look at a language, there's all these different methods and functions and things like that that you can call that are built into the language. That's actually considered an API to the language itself. So I know I've mentioned APIs before, application programming interface, and you can have APIs in uh, backend services. You can have APIs in, say, like a library code or an SDK is going to have an API to it. You can also have an API in the language itself. It's sort of just a specification of all the different things you can do um, in some particular sort of code domain among those things that I just talked about. Anyway, that's getting a lot deeper than we want to go, but these types of things you'll learn later on, but the tunnel coder philosophy is that there are certain things that are very similar across all these different languages, right? And so so getting back to what we were talking about initially, um, you're going to find across a whole range of languages that you would want to learn. Um, when you start learning that specific language syntax and all the things that make that language unique, you're going to notice that there are a bunch of things also that are very similar, okay, across all these different languages. So that's really what I'm driving at is, I mean, you're going to have the idea of uh, an array or a list um, across all these different languages. Now, the implementation is going to be different, of course, in, in different languages, but each one of those arrays or lists or or um, however you want to call it, uh, d- languages have different ways that they call these types of da- data structures or name these data structures, but 
you're going to almost always have some form of an add function, for example, or an add method. And that's going to be the way that you add new elements to this list, right? And most li lists and, and arrays and things of that nature are going to have some form of a, you know, remove or insert or pop type of method, right? So you're going to find all these kinds of methods across all the different languages, right? So, um, so really getting back to the example of the four different steps, that's why I think I'm, I'm trying to, to talk about this because I feel like this is something that you can identify across all these different languages, that there are these sort of like core things that you're going to end up finding yourself doing when you start to get to this sort of product, productive business level application of domain business logic, right? So, and if that sounds even uh, too confusing, um, let's just get back to the idea of like business information. Like if you need to take some customer information, you need to change that customer information in some way and then store it somewhere, right? That that sort of thing that you need to do in that specific way in the business would be called a certain sort of business domain, right? Like a domain is this idea of, you know, like, um, you know, like if you think back about in the medieval days or whatever, like the domain of a king or whatever, it's like there's this sort of boundary around some specific understanding of the business. It's not the whole business as a whole, although it could be, but a domain is, you know, is usually specifically some kind of uh, core sort of business area, right? So we would have kind of like some context around that specific area, and there would be certain types of things that need to happen in that area. And so that's where we would need to, to write some code to basically do things in that business domain, in that area of business logic that needs to be done, right? So what we're going to do is essentially, no matter what you're doing, no matter what your project is, even if it's not business, of course, like even if it's personal, it's still, you know, air quotes business, right? Like the business of whatever you're doing, right? So um, we're going to almost universally, we're going to, as soon as your program starts up or at some level, at some point, you're going to be getting or you're going to be creating some type of data, right? So it could be a number, it could be uh, a chunk of text, it could be some uh, class that you're going to sort of bring to life yourself, which is going to contain a bunch of information on some business object. Let's say it's a customer or a person, that business object is going to have first name, last name, email address, and so on. And that's the data or the state that exists inside of that business object, right? And don't let state scare you either. Uh, the, the term state is used all over programming, but it essentially just means sort of like a stat, snapshot of the data at any given point for some particular object, right? So let's say we have a customer and we've got first name, last name, email, okay? And let's say first name is 
Bob, and the last name is Jones, and the email is bobj at gmail.com, right? So if we take a snapshot right now, that's the state of that object. So we've got the first name, the last name, we got that email address. Let's say Bob changes his email address to bob.jones at gmail.com, and then he updates it, and then our system picks it up. Now the state of that object that represents Bob Jones has changed because now some part of that data is a little bit different, right? So anyway, that's kind of getting ahead of ourselves, but I just want to demystify the idea of state. I mean, if you think about somebody and you would go like, oh man, like what kind of a state are they in? Are they upset today? Are they happy? Or, you know, people can be in different states, right? And uh, if you wreck your car, what kind of a state is your car in? Um, you know, state is all around us. It's basically sort of a snapshot of all the different variables, all the different sort of points of data or all the different bits of information that you can track about some specific thing. It's whatever those things all add up to at that moment when you take a snapshot of it, right? So if I wreck my, and I know I'm probably beating a dead horse here, but let me just go on just to demystify this a little bit. Let's say I wreck my car and right prior to wrecking the car, the state of the car was the windows were in good shape, the windows were rolled up, the engine was running, the tires had air, etc. When I wreck it, the left front tire is missing air now, two of the windows are broken, the engine is now leaking oil, etc. I know that's a weird example, but I don't know why, that just came to my mind. Um, so the state has changed now. And in reality, state changes all the time. I mean, in our daily lives, state is changing, you know, by the nanosecond or by the, you know, I mean, it's hard to just take take some quantity of time, like a second or a, you know, millisecond or an hour or whatever, and state is changing all around you, right? So um, anyway, that's all I'm going to get into on that right now. But let's say we, we, the first step is we need to get or create some data. So we're going to get some data on a customer, or maybe that customer doesn't exist yet. So we're going to create that data. So either way, we're going to get a number or we're going to create a number right then, right? Or we're going to get some object about Bob Jones, or we're going to create that object about Bob Jones, right? So then step number two, we usually will take whatever state that is uh, that we just got or that we just created, and we need to basically store it somewhere, right? And that's where these data structures come in. That's where the list or the array or the dictionary or the hash set or the, the queue, right? So if we want to just like shove it into an array, that's, uh, you know, a pretty simple holding area, right? And we can, you know, get those things back out in a certain way and we can, you know, this is a whole other uh, area, but, you know, you can do a bunch of different things. You can do certain things with that information in an array. But let's say you want to hold other types of information on that data, on the Bob Jones object or the car or whatever, and um, you need to hold a little bit more information and you need to get that information back in a different way you're probably going to want to use a dictionary or a hash set or, you know, something of that nature um, where you can basically 
put like a label on the different types of information. Now, let's say you don't care uh, about those types of things and you just want to throw everything in kind of like a basket and then you want to get everything right back off the top or you want to get everything off the bottom. That would be like a cue, right? So, um, you know, cue might sound kind of mystical, but it's really not. It's literally like a laundry basket. Either you have a laundry basket with a bottom on it and all the clothes you throw in, you have to take the clothes right back off the top. So you get like the last item that you threw in comes back off. Or let's say the basket has no bottom and those clothes can magically stay in there without falling out. When you come back and get the clothes out, you get it from the bottom, you're going to get the first item that you threw in, right? So there's different reasons why you would use these different structures and um, this all comes down to what you want to do. But, um, you know, uh, you make different design decisions at the time based on what you're trying to do, right? So now number three, we're going to branch through or loop through the data and we're going to do some stuff to it, right? So, of course, this is, you know, a whole other area, but um, very simply put, when you branch through data, you're basically going to have some data come through like an if-else kind of statement. So you're going to test it for something like, if the car is blue, do this. If Bob Jones's email starts with this, do this. Else, if it doesn't have these things, do this other thing, right? So that's like branching. So you go one direction or the other. Now you can branch and then loop, or you can loop and branch inside your loop. I mean, you can combine these things, but at the at the basic level, you're going to branch and you're going to loop. Maybe you don't branch, maybe you just go straight into a loop. Looping is we basically take that sort of box of items that let's say we've got an array or a list and it's like just basically like a box of stuff and we're going to basically go through that box one at a time, pick out each item, look at the item and do whatever we want with the item and then Maybe we put it back in another box, or maybe we throw it away, or maybe we transform it and turn it into something else and do something else with it. But at at the core, it's basically just going through one item at a time until we reach some reason to stop doing that, okay? So that's number three. And number four, we're basically, after we do all those things, after we get our data, then after we store it somewhere so that we could do something with it, then we're going to do something with it. We're going to branch through it or loop through it. And at the very end, we're basically going to put it back into some kind of a data structure. Like maybe we started out with an array and we did a bunch of stuff, but maybe in the end we want to stick it into a queue because it's processed already. And then uh, we have something else come back and pick it back out of that laundry basket and then store it away in a database for long-term storage or send it back off somewhere else, right? So that's pretty much like the fourth step. I mean, you are going to want to do something with that to store it back into something else. So if you store it back into a data structure, an array or a list, you know, which is sort of like a box of stuff or like a, a dictionary, which is like sort of like a box, but all the stuff has a label attached to it. Right, And it gets a lot more complex than that, but at its basic core, it's something with 
a label attached to it so that you can recall it according to that label, right? And then, you know, the, the data store, like a persistent store, they would call it, um, is going to be some form of a database. So are we going to use, we might use SQL, we might use NoSQL like MongoDB or uh, DynamoDB and, and uh, Amazon AWS or, I don't know, there's a whole, I mean, there's literally hundreds and we're going to make design decision um, based on what we're trying to solve um, as to, you know, what type of long-term storage you want to use. But databases are basically long-term data storages so that when the lights go out, when you shut off your program, you can get that data back again. So it's sort of like this, uh, it's basically like a closet, right? So like you've got your working area, which is like your kitchen, and you're working on, let's say you're working on re a recipe and you're cutting up all this food and you're dumping some food in the trash and you're taking peels off of things and some of those peels go in the trash and some of them go into... Uh, a pot on the oven and you've got all these things you're doing right but at the end when you're done uh, you're going to take it and put it in the refrigerator and then that way you can leave the kitchen and go do something else and come back and get it later right so that's step number four so many of you if you've been into programming at any level or you've done any of the tutorials I'm sure you've run across this kind of stuff but I basically just wanted to run over these four steps as I've, I've, as I've identified them in the professional, productive, business, everyday business type of code that I write, um, I, I wanted to bring this out because it's super important to know that at the core, there really is just these sort of like four steps. I mean, I'm sure there there's other steps. I'm sure other people could come up with other things, but Honestly, I would challenge other developers and other engineers to significantly change those four steps as I've defined them. Um, that would be an interesting exercise. So as we wrap up, I just want to kind of look back at what we've learned today and what the objective was. Um, my objective for this, and like I've mentioned already in this episode and before, the objective of the Tunnel Coder podcast is really to help you as a learning developer, as a learning software engineer, to kind of shortcut a lot of the stuff that it took me, a lot of the time that it took me wading through so many hundreds and, and really thousands of different Lego pieces to understand what it is that really needs to be used on a daily basis. Like, it's like I think about going into like Home Depot and you're not going to just, if you're doing like a home improvement project, you're not going to go in there and spend, you know, a month talking to all the store employees and literally memorizing every single tool that they have in the store before you can go home and change the vanity in your bathroom, right? Now, you're going to go in there and you're going to be like, I don't know what most of these tools do, but what I do know is I need x y and z i need like you know probably like five things and i'm going to go to the section or if i don't know how to go there i'm going to ask somebody where that section is at i'm going to find those things i'm probably have a few questions i'm going to take those things and buy them and go home do the project and while i'm doing that project 
I might run into a few things that I don't know about. And if that's the case, I'm going to go YouTube it and figure it out on the fly, right? I mean, programming is literally no different than that, guys. I really want to get that through to you guys that, um, you know, at the professional level, uh, once you start doing this, um, you know, every day for a job, you'll realize that it really is like that. I mean, it's very, very similar to what I just described. So I want to give you some hope that um, you can, you really can sort of shortcut this process. And I want to help you try to find ways to understand what those steps are. And, and like I said, give you hope that you can learn these steps in a timely fashion and really uh, kickstart, you know, switching careers or whatever it is that, you know, whatever reason you have for, for learning to code. So thank you so much for joining me today on the third installment of the Tunnel Coder podcast. I hope you are having an amazing day or night wherever you're at and uh, continue to be awesome. And thank you so much for tuning in.